0: This week on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show, there are renewed efforts to keep financially distressed farmers on their land, and we take you to Pearls on the Lake Restaurant in Northern Idaho, where they're using Idaho Ag products on their menu. Another farm to chef story, and Paul Marchant takes us all the way down to Southern Nevada to Bella's, an adventure on another installment of Irons in the Fire. I'm Neil Larson. Welcome to the program. Our news is just ahead.
1: Looking for ways to serve, but don't know where to begin. Go to JustServe.org, a free site to help those who want to serve find opportunities nearby. JustServe has teamed up with organizations nationwide. Go to JustServe.org and type in your city and you'll see a list of service opportunities. Sign up on JustServe to receive emails letting you know about new projects. JustServe is fast, free and easy.
0: More rural areas will be getting high-speed internet as a result of new investments by the USDA. Here's Gary Crawford.
2: Affordable access to high-speed internet.
3: This really is critically important to the future of rural America.
2: Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack's words Thursday as he announced $759 million in new funding for 49 projects to bring high-speed Internet to rural areas in 24 states. This money, part of round three of USDA's ReConnect program, which so far this year has made available $1.6 billion for over 100 rural Internet projects across the country. And Vilsack told reporters
3: that's not all. We're currently making more than $1 billion of additional resources and funding available through round four of the ReConnect program.
2: USDA began taking applications for round four back on September 6th. And
3: the deadline for accepting applications is now uh, November 2nd.
2: Phil Sack said getting high-speed Internet access for everybody in America is not a short-term project could take years, but he says the infrastructure law has $65 billion in it for bringing high-speed Internet to rural areas. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
0: Data released this month from the Department of Agriculture shows drought is having an impact on cattle markets.
4: Michael Clements shares more. Recent reports from the Department of Agriculture reveal current market trends in the cattle markets. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson shares more from the Cattle on Feed report.
5: I think we can really call this report bullish. With total cattle on feed coming in, right around 11.4 million. Down 1% from this time in 2021. Placements were a little bit over 2 million head. This is 4% below this time last year in 2021.
4: Nelson says placements were down the most in drought-stricken states.
5: This is likely due to some tighter calf supplies, along with higher feed and input costs amplified by the drought conditions. We've seen marketings for fed cattle totaling one86 million head for september this is four percent above this time in 2021 now when we really see marketing's high and placements become lower over a longer drawn out period of time this really signals that lower cattle supplies are in the future
4: additionally usda's livestock slaughter report shows higher beef slaughter numbers
5: so on october 26th we had 129,000 head processed So what we're seeing here is when the packer really starts trying to reach out and get a hold of these numbers ahead of time, this really tells you that they need to get their hands on cattle to meet the current demand situation. When we see the supplies start to tighten up and we see demand kind of remaining consistent, we're going to see some upward support in prices.
0: Michael Clements, Washington. USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service focuses on various research avenues to address antimicrobial resistance concerns and promote antimicrobial stewardship. Here's Rod Bain with more in this
6: report. The Agriculture Department and its Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service has been involved in resolving livestock and crop antimicrobial resistance issues for some time. That includes antimicrobial resistance plants. And as Chelsea Shively of APHIS Veterinary Services recently told the Farm Foundation Forum audience, a focus on four key areas.
7: The first is antimicrobial use and stewardship monitoring. Second, we do antimicrobial resistance monitoring. Third, we conduct education and outreach. And finally, we conduct a lot of collaborative projects with industry and university partners.
6: She adds these efforts involve voluntary collaboration between producers, veterinarians, and diagnostic laboratories, as well as protecting confidentiality.
7: APHIS also collaborates across the federal government, as well as with state, university, and industry partners.
6: And APHIS is in the process of developing an antimicrobial resistance dashboard. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
0: The University of Idaho Livestock Genetic Scientist is part of an initiative that was recently awarded $1.9 million in U.S. Department of Ag funds to promote collaboration among plant and animal genomic researchers, According to a press release by the University of Idaho in a piece by John O'Connell, the program, called the Agricultural Genome to Phenome Initiative, is led by Iowa State University and includes Brenda Murdoch, an associate professor in U of I's Department of Animal, Veterinary and Food Sciences, and representation from University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Murdoch and her colleagues will develop additional granting opportunities with their funding, bringing together plant and crop scientists researching how the DNA or genome. Genome Controls Traits, otherwise referred to as phenomes, that are economically important. Murdoch said that this initiative is trying to bring people together so they can learn from each other and cross-train and share opportunities across the livestock and crop sectors. There are some areas in livestock genetics which we might be considered uh, more advanced, but in other areas, crop genetic scientists are more advanced. Now, if you'd like to read the rest of this piece... You could find this at IdahoFB.org. Just look in the news section. Well, these days, more than ever, parents need to make sure their little trick-or-treaters have a happy, safe Halloween. Here's Gary Crawford with more.
2: We're almost to that special spooky night. trick or And in some places, kids are still going door-to-door, trick-or-treating, which is fine if we parents work on keeping kids safe. University of Kentucky Extension Child Development Specialist Dr. David Weisenhorn says, first off...
8: Children under the age of 12 should certainly be accompanied by an adult. If they're 10 or 11, maybe they walk to the door by themselves from the sidewalk. But younger children should certainly be accompanied the whole way, so they're not alone.
2: And those kids need to be able to be seen, especially by motorists. Maybe
8: that's as simple as, as putting a small flashing light to either clip onto the costume or being able to add easy reflective strips to the costume.
2: And make sure masks don't restrict your kids' vision. And when the kids get back home...
8: Dump out all the candy and give it a good once-over. Are all of the candies individually wrapped and has that seal or wrapper been broken in any way?
2: If so, throw it out just in case. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington.
0: The 2023 USDA Agricultural Outlook Forum is now taking registrations for the February 23rd through 24th event, returning to live sessions for the first time in two years. Here's Rod Bain with World Ag Outlook Board Chair Mark Jeckanowski.
6: Registration is now underway for the 99th edition of USDA's annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. And World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski says for the first time since 2020,
5: After two years of holding this event entirely virtually because of the pandemic, we're going to be back in person this year at the Crystal City Marriott in Arlington, Virginia.
6: However, all sessions will be live streamed and virtual as well. While details such as the theme for the 2023 Ag Outlook Forum are still being developed other their traditional offerings are known, such as the Thursday morning kickoff session.
5: Chief economist will give his overall outlook for the U.S. and global agricultural economy. The secretary will give speech, and that typically is followed by a plenary panel.
6: Registration for the February 23rd, 24th event can be conducted online at www.usda.gov slash oce slash ag dash outlook dash forum. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
0: A little shout out now to Haley Thomas of Rigby. She was fishing with her family back on October 4th on Henry's Lake in Island Park. And she snagged the biggest rainbow cutthroat hybrid ever recorded. 36 inches long, it comfortably surpassed the previous record, a 30-inch rainbow cutthroat hybrid set by Ryan Ivy back in 2018. Nice job, Haley Thomas of Rigby. When you see her, give her a high five. Well, Connie Boger tells how she got started in the fair business and what her goals are in bringing a petting zoo to various fairs around the country in this report from the Idaho Farm Bureau.
9: My name is Connie Boger. My husband and I started this company about 25 years ago when we realized that there was a real need for children to have an exposure to agriculture because kids really don't know much about agriculture and somebody has to teach them. The parents are not doing a very good job of teaching them and we really have to do a better job in in our society of making sure that kids have an appreciation for agriculture and their parents because if their parents don't know much, then the kids don't know much. We started our season at the Florida State Fair in Tampa and we were involved with the maternity ward there where the, we, we calved out cows that the local dairy farmer brought in in cows that were ready to calve and, and so we had baby calves while we were there. Uh, it's amazing to me the fascination that, that kids have when, when they see a calf be born. You know what better way to teach the kids the facts of life than that? This is a very agricultural-minded fair. They, you don't see combines and and tractors and those types of things at at, at a lot of fairs, but this fair is an agricultural-minded fair because this fair realizes that ag is is what most of the the fairgoers here are involved with. My goal in life, every day of the fair, is to plant a seed. If I if I can convince one little child that he needs to be a part he or she needs to be a part of agriculture, then I've done my job.
0: Well if you'd like to see the video version of this report, just go to IdahofB.org. The latest US top soil moisture condition report is reflective of the growing coverage of dryness and drought across much of the country. Here's Rod
6: Bain with USDA
0: meteorologist Brad Rippey
6: dryness continues across much of the nation as the growing season winds down. In fact, for topsoil moisture condition for the period ending October 23rd, in the very short-to-short rating category,
5: At 68% represents an all-time record in the short period of record for national topsoil moisture conditions that go back to the mid-2010s.
6: USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says state numbers also reflect extreme dryness and in turn very short-to-short topsoil moisture.
5: We are seeing numbers Above 90% across parts of the heartland, including Oklahoma coming in at 98%, Kansas 91%, several other states at or above 80%. That list includes South Dakota, Nebraska, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Kentucky.
6: Meanwhile, just 1% of the country reports topsoil moisture surplus, mostly reflective in some states in the East, Great Lakes, and southwest. I'm reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
0: In our next segment, there are renewed efforts to keep financially distressed farmers on their land, plus a look at what the La Nina weather pattern means for conditions this winter on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show.
10: That's 800-417-0851.
1: Looking for ways to serve but don't know where to begin? Go to JustServe.org, a free site to help those who want to serve find opportunities nearby. JustServe has teamed up with organizations nationwide. Go to JustServe.org and type in your city, and you'll see a list of service opportunities. Sign up on JustServe to receive emails letting you know about new projects. JustServe is fast, free, and easy.
0: Welcome back to the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. For all the latest, just go to IdahoFarmNet.com. There is a major effort to help financially distressed farmers stay on their land and continue to farm. Gary Crawford has details on this edition of Agriculture USA.
2: Farming is risky business to begin with, and thousands of farmers whose farms are also their homes can be just a bad crop or a bad decision away from losing their farms and their
3: homes. This is on our minds of all of our farmers and ranchers. As I travel around the country, I've heard sad stories uh, of farm families who've uh, had to leave this business.
2: However, there is help coming for thousands of farmers who are just barely hanging on. Help from what President Biden
3: calls one of the most significant Laws in our history.
2: The Inflation Reduction Act, which, among other things, will do what the president has said he has wanted to do all along, and that is to keep farmers on the land. How will this new law help to do that? We'll take a look on this edition of Agriculture USA. I'm Gary Crawford.
11: People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, (laughs) learn new instruments. Start skateboarding? Whoa. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With ACRetirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Woo-hoo! Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
8: The star of the show here is the farmer. The person that really matters is the farmer, and keeping that farmer, him or her, on the land, so that he or she can take care of her family and their community.
2: Agriculture Secretary Tom Bilsack telling reporters the other day that thanks to money in the Inflation Reduction Act, just over $3 billion worth, USDA is already at work on that goal of keeping farmers on the land. Now, a little background on this. The U.S. Department of Agriculture makes loans and loan guarantees for about 115,000 farm borrowers. These are operators who may be fairly high credit risks to begin with. That's because the USDA only loans money to farmers who cannot get credit anywhere else. That's the rule. The USDA is the so-called lender of last resort. Now, because of COVID and many other possible factors, about 11,000 of those 115,000 have been at least 60 days behind on loan payments. Luckily, there has been suspension of foreclosures and such because of the COVID pandemic, but that could end at any time. However, USDA has taken action to help those delinquent borrowers.
8: And the first order of business was to basically uh, to utilize a, uh, r- roughly $600 million to make payments, in essence, uh, to bring those borrowers current. So uh, approximately 11,000 folks have or will receive correspondence from the USDA advising them uh, that these payments have been made and that they are now current uh, and that they will remain current uh, until their, the next annual payment is due next year in 2023.
2: Bill Sachs says, of course, this is not only to help producers financially, but as you can imagine.
8: To give those borrowers the peace of mind that they don't have to be concerned or worried about the possibility of foreclosure.
2: However, some producers before the COVID suspension of foreclosures and such had already been embroiled in bankruptcy or foreclosure processes.
8: And we will be working with them on a case-by-case basis.
2: Because some of those cases are extremely complex. But beyond helping currently distressed farmers. There's more to come. This is just the start. Deputy Agriculture Secretary Jewel Brano telling reporters.
7: USDA is going to look for ways to add tools, to add flexibility, to intervene more quickly. And well before borrowers facing financial hardship become at risk of losing their farm.
2: Secretary Vilsack says he wants his department to.
8: chart a new path. Uh, in terms of USDA's approach to to borrowers.
2: He said it would change the USDA from just overseeing loans and collecting payments and such to a much more farmer-friendly approach.
8: We have incredibly experienced loan officers. They're really good at what they do. They know when they see uh, warning signs or an indication that there may be some difficulties or challenges. Then they can work with the farmer. Instead of the farmer being reluctant to come into the office because they don't know what they're going to do, now they'll know that, gosh, there's some resources there. Maybe I need to come in and talk to my loan officer. Maybe I need to explain to him what my circumstance is. and Maybe we, together, can figure out a a route forward. So it's that kind of conversation that's going to take place.
2: A conversation and approach that hopefully will
8: try to address and assist folks uh, before they get to a point of, of no return.
2: But Bill Sack says USDA is doing things, other things, to keep farmers from getting to that point of no return. Things such as
8: creating additional revenue streams beyond the traditional revenue streams. Traditional revenue streams: you you raise crops and sell them, or you raise crops and feed them, and then you sell whatever the product is of that livestock. Well, we have to have farmers have more revenue streams. So this USDA is creating those new revenue streams with climate-smart agricultural commodities, with a local and regional food system, with additional processing capacity, with an investment in organic transition to enable farmers to transition to a higher value proposition on their farm. So there are multiple things underway at USDA to literally transform the system. And it's obviously going to take some time for all that to take root, but we're excited about the future here
2: which he says is a brighter future for Agriculture USA. I'm Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
0: What does the current La Nina weather system mean for weather conditions this winter across the U.S.? Rod Bain has the answer in this
6: report. So what might this winter look like from a weather perspective.
12: La Nina conditions continued through the summer months and remain in place for the third consecutive winter and our forecast to persist into spring 2023.
6: That's the word from John Gottschalk of the National Associatic and Atmospheric Administration's Climate Prediction Center, announcing its 2022-23 winter weather outlook. He breaks down conditions this winter,
12: which include a general warmer and drier south and cooler, wetter north typical
6: conditions for a predominant La Nina system.
12: We've had two triple dip La Ninas. One was in the early 70s. There was also one in the late 90s, early 2000s.
6: The specific outlook for temperatures looks like this.
12: The winter 2022 temperature forecast favors above-normal temperatures for northwest Alaska, the Central Great Basin, and southwest eastward through the southern plains. Warmer-than-average conditions are also favored for the southeastern U.S. and along the Atlantic seaboard, with the greatest chance of below-normal temperatures, most likely from the Pacific northwest, eastward to the western Great Lakes and the Alaska Panhandle.
6: Possible precipitation outcomes across the country this winter include the following.
12: Wetter than average conditions are favored in western Alaska, the Pacific Northwest, northern Rockies, and parts of the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley. Drier than average conditions are most likely for portions of California, the Southwest, the Southern Rockies, Southern Plains, Gulf Coast, and much of the Southeast. The greatest odds for below average precipitation are forecast for southern Texas.
6: The rest of the nation falls in the category of equal chances for below, near, or above-average precipitation.
12: As for the drought conditions this winter, we anticipate widespread extreme drought to persist across much of the West, the Great Basin and the Central to Southern Great Plains. The Middle and Lower Mississippi Valley is currently experiencing historic low water conditions, and we expect droughts to continue to impact this area as well. Drought development is likely to occur across the South Central and Southwestern U.S., while drought conditions will likely improve across the Northwestern U.S. and Northern Rockies during the coming winter months.
6: Gotchak's colleague at the Climate Prediction Center, Brad Pugh, says the continued dryness will enhance wildfire danger in some areas going into the winter.
5: One of the areas over the next couple of months that are likely to have enhanced wildfire danger will be the south-central U.S., Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. Uh, we've had very dry conditions there during the past 30 to 45 days, seen an increase in drought coverage and intensity. So with that antecedent dryness, that'll be an area for high wildfire danger during the next couple of months. I'm
6: Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
0: In our next segment, we head to Northern Idaho for another look at Idaho Preferred's Farm to Chef program and a safety reminder with harvest underway on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show.
10: That's 800-417-0851.
0: Welcome back to the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. I'm Neil Larson. The past few weeks, we have been highlighting Idaho Preferred's Farm to Chef program. And this week, we head to Pearls on the Lake in northern Idaho, northeast of Sandpoint.
13: We're in Hope, Idaho, almost the most northern part of Lake Pend northeast of Sandpoint. It's just a beautiful lake, unbelievable setting. It's the fifth largest lake in America. The restaurant's located at the Beyond Hope Resort. So I have a thing with, with the term chef. I think that chefs deserve Michelin stars. I don't think I'm a chef, I think I, uh, just know how to cook food really well and and run a business. And yeah, I own the place and you can call me chef, but I like Alex. And at every restaurant I've ever uh, been a part of and operated, I really wanted to bring in local produce, local products, one for the quality, And two, these local farmers, you know, they mean the world to a lot of people.
14: I can't say enough good things about Alex Jacobson uh, because him and his wife, Brittany, are rock stars. She does all the catering and the catering side of it. And um, they just are such a support for local.
13: And this year they've decided to grow a bunch of new crops just for me because that's they knew they could sell it, they knew they could take the risk, and they knew I would buy it all from them, so it was really fun to work hand-in-hand with them.
14: This is one of the newest microgreens that my husband has been trying to grow for Alex. And it finally we have success, and so this new charred microgreen will be at Pearls very shortly. I mean, local's better, one, it
13: doesn't sit on a semi-truck for two weeks on its way up here. The vegetables brought in today by Jamette were picked yesterday. They're at their peak. They're going to be my walk in for maybe four or five days. And then she's going to bring me more. You can definitely get a difference in flavor. The spinach is sweeter. It's earthier. It's greener. It's heartier. All the greens that we cook tonight on the shrimp, on the chicken, on the steak dishes will all be picked yesterday and served today.
14: Working with chefs, I love it. I love the challenges. I love the fast pace of the restaurant life. And I appreciate all the hard work and creativity that goes into making these beautiful dishes and that these chefs want local food. They know that it is better. They know how hard we work. And just to have them be so appreciative and supportive of that It just makes you want to keep going.
13: I mean, I just think North Idaho is more in touch with the surroundings around us. I mean, a lot of us hunt, including myself. Um, We want good, clean, natural food. And we're willing to go out and find it and or work for it or grow it ourselves. And yes, we have, I mean, thousands and thousands of acres to roam around in and enjoy. And I think that, like, that back-to-earth veal, if you will, is a really big part of North Idaho and who we are and what we stand for.
0: By the way, if you'd like to see the video version of this report, check out the blog at idahopreferred.com. Idaho Preferred, of course, is an initiative by the Idaho Department of Agriculture to promote consumption of Idaho's agricultural products. While farmers are rushing to get harvest completed, it's important to slow down and think about safety. Michael
4: Clement shares tips to have a safe and successful harvest. Harvest is a busy time of year and often a rush against Mother Nature to get all the crops out of the field. However, it's important to stop and think about your safety and the safety of others. North Carolina Farm Bureau Field Representative Callie Carson encourages farmers to be proactive when it comes to harvest safety.
7: The challenge with safety is that it usually takes an accident for both farmers and communities to be safety-minded. And if we're proactive and think about what we can do to mitigate or even eliminate unsafe practices on the farm, we can save injuries. Headache, heartache, financial investment, in some instances, even a death on the farm that's related to an accident.
4: Carson shares some tips on how to be safe during harvest season.
7: Weather plays a big part in that harvest, and a lot of times farmers will say, I just have one more row, I have one more field, I've got to beat the weather. So a lot of times it's just slowing down. And I understand that in terms of profitability, we've got to get the crop out, but the crop's not any good if the farmer is in injured, or not there anymore.
4: Carson says harvest safety goes beyond the farmer and includes community members as well.
7: Rural roadways have obstacles, curves, hills, blind spots, trees. So what we ask our motorists to do is just slow down and pay attention. Look for equipment, put down the phone, eliminate as many distractions in the vehicle as possible, and then also pay attention. So if they see a piece of farm equipment, as soon as they see that piece of equipment, slow down immediately.
4: Michael Clements, Washington.
0: An expansion of efforts between USDA and the state of Wyoming in voluntary conservation of private working lands and big game habitat was recently announced. Here's Rod Bain with the details.
6: The idea of collaboration between the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the state of Wyoming at the intersection of natural resources conservation and big-game habitat protection and development has been ongoing for well over a year.
3: And over the course of these conversations, having talked to stakeholders, really gives us an opportunity to reinforce the notion of locally-led voluntary conservation. We heard about landowners interested in land restoration and management. We looked for opportunities to promote long-term conservation opportunities.
6: The result, according to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, was a pilot program introduced last May in the Equality State, in which various USDA programs under the Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area umbrella brought financial and technical assistance to participating landowners
3: to support those locally-led, private-driven conservation opportunities on private working lands,
6: designed to conserve habitat for big-game species. Recently, the commitment from USDA to this effort in Wyoming was extended and expanded through a signed memorandum of understanding. The Secretary explains USDA financial and technical support will continue under this agreement.
3: We'll be investing an additional $6 million in equip resources, an additional $10 million in our ASAP program, our Easement program for fiscal year 23. Additionally, A new program will be piloted. A habitat lease, a concept that will allow landowners who manage private lands to provide habitat for big game species. We'll be piloting that habitat lease, combining with our grassland CRP program with partner resources so that private landowners can get an annual payment over a 10 to 15 year contract for land management that supports big game habitat.
6: The Natural Resources Conservation Service and Farm Service Agency will soon announce details regarding Wyoming landowner participation in this pilot. Secretary Vilsack hopes this conservation partnership pilot can eventually
3: leverage our flexible tools to develop a model that can be expanded hopefully in other states and regions.
6: I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
0: In our final segment, another look at that shrinking beef cattle herd. And Paul Marchant takes us along to Bella's in Southern Nevada on another installment of Irons in the Fire on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show.
10: 800 417 0851. That's 800 417 0851.
1: Looking for ways to serve but don't know where to begin? Go to JustServe.org, a free site to help those who want to serve find opportunities nearby. JustServe has teamed up with organizations nationwide. Go to JustServe.org and type in your city, and you'll see a list of service opportunities. Sign up on JustServe to receive emails letting you know about new projects. JustServe is fast, free, and easy.
0: Welcome back. It's the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. To grab this and previous episodes on podcast, just go to idahofarmnet.com. If there was any doubt that the beef cattle inventory is contracting, the latest USDA numbers have erased that doubt. Here's Gary Crawford.
2: The inventory of the nation's cattle feedlots October 1st was 11.4 million head, about 1% fewer than a year ago. Doesn't sound like much of a difference, but for one thing. This was the first decline in the on-feed numbers. This year? Agriculture Department Livestock Analyst Shale Shagum says that's just one of several indicators of a developing downturn in cattle supplies. Other evidence is embedded in that overall feedlot inventory number with the number of heifers up from a year ago, with heifers making up a larger percentage of the total inventory. And Shagum says there's additional evidence gleaned from the placement numbers. First and most obvious, cattle producers during September placed just over 2 million head into feedlots. That's down 4% from September a year ago. Plus, Shagam says, take a look at the weights of those
3: placements. Two weight categories that were higher were the under 600-pound calves, The other category being the the heaviest weight cattle. The other categories were lower. Again, this could be a a, a sign that, you know, we are digging pretty deeply
2: into the supplies of uh, cattle which are not already in feedlots. The big reason for this contraction in the beef industry. The very poor forage conditions. And Chagum says, obviously, if this drought in much of cattle country continues. It's going to probably be limiting producers options in terms
8: of retaining animals for breeding over the winter. And obviously that then affects what's going to be available to become cows and what's going to be available to provide us with calves in the coming years and beef.
2: This is already showing up in higher prices up and down the chain for feeders. USDA tracked 750 to 800 pound steers at Oklahoma City. And as of last week, those prices were running about $171 a hundred weight. And that compares to $154
3: a year ago. So again, Signs that those tighter supplies are manifesting themselves in the fact that that, that feedlots are having to bid higher for those feeder
2: cattle. But they are getting higher prices for their fed cattle, averaging $174 versus only $124 a year ago. So feedlots are still managing to absorb those rising prices for feeder cattle. But increasingly, those feeder calves are going to become uh, more expensive as as supplies tighten further. Which Shale Shagam says they will, and in fact... We are going to start looking at tire supplies of of, of cattle available for beef production as we move uh, further into next year. A big question. Will consumer demand continue strong despite possible higher retail prices for beef? Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
0: And finally today, Paul Marchant shares an adventure to Bellas in southern Nevada on the latest installment of Irons in the Fire.
15: Well, I believe... Summer's over and uh, the next season is about upon us. I can guess that's true by the white stuff that's out on the ground. Although that great white cowboy has been a great help in getting my cows gathered off the mountain, they're a lot more happy to come down to the welfare state than hang up on the mountain when there's snow on the ground. Jerry is as good as they come. He seems to always be happy and friendly. He makes toys. Jerry is a happy toy maker. As a matter of fact, his business is called the Happy Toymaker. His toys aren't just any toys, mind you. He makes big old custom-made, authentic, sturdy ranch toys. Trucks, chutes, round pens, alleys, corrals, horses, cows, bulls, rope and steers, and anything else that is seriously and genuinely ranchy. Jerry's a Texan, and I first met him in Texas several years ago. Since then, I've seen him at cattle conventions and ag trade shows in various locales across the country. Last I saw him was a couple of years ago in October in Billings. During the course of our conversation, he wondered if I might reside in the vicinity of someone he'd met at the buck and horse sale in Miles City. He'd made a nice ranch set for her and needed to get it to her before Christmas. He knew her home was in Nevada somewhere, and after some cowboy detective work, we discovered that she lived in Elko County, specifically just outside of Wells. How fortuitous, I thought. Wells is well within my reach. My mother was raised in Clover Valley, just south of Wells, and I have cousins who still live there. And the chances were pretty good that uh, any ranch family near Wells would occasionally have business to tend to in Twin Falls, just over an hour from my home. I eventually got in touch with Kelly, the energetic mother of a lucky two-year-old who was set to have a spectacular Christmas morning, if I could only be successful in my role as Santa's elf and get the ranch set delivered. I had to make a trip that year to Las Vegas to the PRCA meetings in advance of the NFR. That was the first week in December. I called Kelly and we arranged to meet at Bella's, the diner on the southwest corner of the intersection at the stop sign where Highway 93 enters town. There are only about 1,200 people who call Wells home. Pretty much anyone who's ever been through Wells knows the layout of the town. There's not really much to memorize. Everybody knows Bella's. Everyone also knows that there are two businesses in Wells known by that name. One is the aforementioned diner. The other is an establishment that deals in one of the two vices that's legal in much of the state of Nevada. The Bella's that sits near the northeast corner of town next to Donna's Ranch isn't a casino, and it most certainly ain't a family diner. As I got within a few miles of Wells, I could... See, I had cell phone service, so I called Kelly and told her I'd meet her outside of Bella's in 10 minutes. Ten minutes later, I pulled up behind Bella's. I could see only two cars in this snow-covered gravel pit that served as a parking lot. It just so happened I was also delivering an Idaho Shag Border Collie pup to my cousin in southern Nevada. So I got the pup out of her cardboard box from the back seat of the rental car I had, and I gave her a drink and let her take care of business as I waited for Kelly. Presently, my phone rang. It was Kelly. She wondered if she had misunderstood when I described my car to her. It was about this time the light above my head came on. I was at the wrong Bella's. I stumbled all over myself as I explained to her that I'd be there in three minutes. As I pulled up and parked and stepped out of the car to greet Kelly in front of Bella's diner, It was immediately apparent she was a true daughter of the Great Basin Ranch country. She gushed over over the puppy, and I have no doubt she'll get more joy from Jerry's red semi and powder green crowding tub and alley than her toddler son ever will. My detour and unintended visit to one of the crown jewels of the Wells Chamber of Commerce didn't faze her in the least. There was, however, an unmistakable mischievous high desert sparkle in her eye as she bade me farewell and noted that next time I get through town I should really step inside Bella's. She said they have amazing tarts. This is Paul Marchant with Irons in the Fire wishing you the best and happiest of weeks. That's it for the program today. I'm Neil Larson. For all the latest
0: and to hear a podcast of this or previous programs just go to IdahoFarmNet.com. We'll catch you next week on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show.